0: Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. When you are done listening to this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Today, I have got on Dr. Robin Hanley-Defoe, who is a multi-award-winning psychology and education instructor who specializes in resiliency, navigating stress and change, leadership, and personal wellness in the workplace. Described as transformational, engaging, and thought-provoking, Robin's keynotes provide practical strategies grounded in global research and case studies that help foster resilience with others and ourselves. Robin is available for consultation, training, and professional development opportunities ranging from one-on-one to company-wide initiatives. And she is the recent author of the book we're going to be talking about today, Calm Within the Storm, A Pathway to Everyday Resilience. Welcome Robin. Thank you so much Dr. Cheryl. I am thrilled to be here this morning with you. Oh, thank you. I have to tell you I read and finished this book yesterday and I love it. It's so great, but I have to tell you, I don't know if other people have told you this, my favorite part of your book is are all these quotes. Mm. They're so good. So for people who like that, like she'll just throw in a quote in between pages, Mm -hmm. like you'll just be reading. And then there's just a great quote and they're all really great quotes. I just highlighted this one, but honestly, there's so many. And then I'm going to ask you questions, but I love this quote. Being challenged in life is inevitable. Being defeated is optional. Mm -hmm. Roger Crawford. I was really inspired by all these quotes in there. Loved it all. So let me just jump in and say, you write a book about resiliency So share with us, what is your definition of resiliency
1: and your kind of your big conceptualization of what that means? Yeah, well, thank you very much, Dr. Cheryl, for reading it and talking about it. And I'm glad there was parts that really spoke to you. So for me, when I think about resiliency, it's this idea of it's all of the everyday pieces that equip us to be able to navigate challenge, stress, and setbacks in our lives. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to put this book together was I felt as though the current definition of resiliency required a wee bit of a reckoning. Because to me, it's usually suggesting it's a one-time thing, right? Something bad happens and boom, we have to be resilient or, you know, a setback in our families or our children experience. It's very often talked about as this one bounce back that we have to a, a negative life event. And in my work over two decades, what I've come upon is it's it's so much more than just one event. It is it, It's all brought together. It's all these intersections. So that's actually why I think about resiliency as it's how we show up every day and how we show up every day is actually going to help us show up for when we have those big things that come into our worlds. I love that. In this book, you
0: talk a lot about your own life. Yes. So I know a little bit about that. Can you share how... What you just said about all of these incidents, all of these things that happen that make us resilient, how your life has been impacted by this concept and how you got to the point where you're actually teaching and
1: researching, inspiring other people Mm -hmm. around this topic. Yeah, it's a great question. So as I share in the book, what I really try to do, and this is how I approach my teaching, this is how I approach my writing, this is how I approach my research, is to braid together personal story research and application. Like to me, those are those three kind of variables that make things transformational. So when we feel it, when we really understand it, but when we also know it's research informed, that's when we can really help people have these great opportunities to interact with the stressors in their lives in a different way. So for me, what was very uh, important to maintain authenticity was I haven't studied resiliency from the outside, you know, from the academy, we're looking inwards, I've studied resiliency, not even realizing I was studying it in my own life experience. Experiencing significant challenges throughout my childhood and my adolescence, and what I think really differentiates my experience was, Dr. Cheryl. I grew up with all of the supports in place. Like if you imagine, like all of the suggestions for families, what we suggest you put into place so your children will thrive. I had all of that, and. I still went off the rails. I still went off in a direction that caused a lot of hurt and a lot of challenge. And sure, some of it was self-inflicted, but others were just because of happenstance I kept getting myself into. And it really came down to having a pretty broken sense of self, pretty fractured self-esteem, sense of self-worth. And that just derailed me, and I spent many, many years navigating major mental health challenges, addictions, um, a lot of self harm, a lot of risk taking behavior. I did end up having a pretty catastrophic car accident at sixteen. And what's interesting, Doctor Cheryl, a lot of folks point to my story and said, "Oh, that was then." She was fine, right? Like, boom, she had this like wild car accident, and somehow she miraculously was saved and now she's fine but the reality is that was just the beginning of the comeback that was the beginning of the recovery and it was it was a good decade learning how to be well. I had only ever really known how to not be well. I was familiar with kind of the shadows and the darks and bad decisions. Um, I didn't really know what it was like to actually be well. So that took a lot of heavy heart work, a lot of learning. And that's where I landed, you know, two decades later, still studying it, learning more about it. A lot of times people ask me, Dr. Cheryl, like how I'm comfortable being so candid and this candor about talking about some of this negative experiences. And I think in reflection, it's because I'm okay talking about things that I've come full circle with. Like I've, I've worked those stuff out. I've learned from it. I believe there's a lot of wisdom there now. And so I can talk about it, but there's still parts of my recovery and parts of my work that, you know, definitely wouldn't make it into a book just yet. Uh, Cause I'm still trying to work that out. Cause I don't think any recovery is linear. I think there's lots of different ebbs and flows. Yeah. That's what I think always resonates with people and makes
0: things so unique when you're not just talking about it from a academic perspective, like you've lived this. Mm-hmm. And so it is pretty inspiring if um, you. people read Calm Within the Storm to just read, you know, Robin goes into a little more detail um, to some of the things she was going through. So one of the things you talk about in part two of your book mm-hmm. is um, you have this area about the three obstacles. Yes. And I would love for you to talk about what they are and why you think they're important for the
1: reader to understand them? Yeah, Dr. Cheryl, another great question. So what I've come upon in my work, because I've worked in many different roles, again, still in the academy doing research, but also working front lines with persons from all different backgrounds, When I was trying to figure out like what really gets in the way of people practicing resiliency and I think of resiliency as a practice it's not something you're born with you have or you don't have it's absolutely something that we can cultivate and we can foster when I was working with persons and I saw them struggle I saw them really um, find difficulty with their comebacks trying to get themselves back on track what I kept seeing were these themes and they were what I eventually came upon to call these obstacles and very much stress is one of them stress really precludes our best resiliency shining forward. I also see that fear uh, people experiencing different forms of fear and the, the third kind of obstacle that we came upon very much was stigma. And I think that they all work, they're related, they work uh, together, but they also stand alone. And when I have seen people be able to harness those obstacles, I've been able to see people have comebacks and rally and experience life in a way that they never thought was possible once they got the stress under control and started to work with it. And we talk about this idea about learning how to stress wisely. This idea about understanding fear and the real the cost of inaction an and then identifying stigma and just the real the operationalizing stigma, realizing why is it out there in the first place and how it's really set on purpose to hold us back, to trap us in shame, trap us in our old stories. So those were the three that I've seen in my work that really create challenges for people to be truly resilient.
0: I'm curious when you talk about stigma as being the third yes. um,
1: obstacle,
0: can you say more about that stigma in what kinds of terms?
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, there's many different forms of stigma and the stigma that I see has to do with a, the societal stigma where there's, there's discrimination, there's, you know, these different types of stories that are put upon us. So there's that stigma. And then there's also that self-stigma that there's a fact that we label ourselves as unworthy. We label ourselves as broken or, or not enough. So it's this idea that often people tend to hold themselves comparing to the worst thing they've ever done in their life. They've used the labels that people maybe have given them or they have given themselves. And that establishes almost this like area in which, okay, I can do well, but I can only do this well because I've been divorced or I can do well, but I only can do this well because I'm somebody who's experienced a mental health crisis. So people really limit themselves in terms of what they feel that they are worthy of based on their experiences. So when I think about the stigma, you know, I think, again, there's societal stigma, which is rampant uh, right now in so many different places across North America. I also see that stealth stigma is also very damaging. I I want to ask you a question.
0: I don't know that I've ever asked anybody before, but it's been um, swirling my mind and you said something about it. But what, think about when people say and or feel like they're broken. Mm -hmm. I feel like people are always like, you're not broken. But I've also been wondering lately, like what's wrong with feeling broken? Because I think the implication when you're broken is, okay, I got to fix it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stay broke. Like I feel broken, Mm -hmm. but I guess I assume the implication is, okay, then we're going to work on putting pieces back together. Mm -hmm. tell me what you think about this notion when people
1: feel broken yeah well first of all i think in our society we've been told that there are certain emotions we should feel and we should feel lots of them like gratitude and appreciation and love and hope-filledness like there's so many feelings we've been told these are the good ones this is what you should feel but part of experiencing those positives are there's the other side of it where we don't feel worthy we do feel at times broken and broken could, it, you know, not in a, a physical sense, but just a sense of just this these fractures between our sense of self and who we really want to be, who we aspire to be, who we think we actually are, who people have told us we are. So I think our uh, that brokenness really comes down to our relationship with ourself and trying to get an alignment between our head and our heart. And I think that's actually one of the, the kind of greatest frontiers that people, and especially mental health and emotional health needs to be thinking about is instead of telling people like, oh, these are all the things that are wrong with you, understanding how do we help people find alignment? Because when I see people get their alignment in check, their head and their heart on the same page, their kind of their passion and their personality working together, those people are unstoppable, right? Like that's what we really want to achieve for folks. When I'm working with persons though, Dr. Cheryl, and they say to me like, Robin, I'm broken. Sometimes it has to do with the fact that they had a story or a trajectory that they thought that this is what their life would be right by 40 I'd be here or, you know, they had all these kind of expectations about what their life was supposed to look like. So part of that broken is now they're there and when they look around it's not what they thought it was going to be. Or other times I see persons who are living their life, Dr. Cheryl, and all of a sudden they're like, they don't even recognize themselves in it, that they have all of the, maybe the boxes checked, but they're so disconnected. They feel so unwell, unkind of, you know, that this isn't what they thought that life was going to be. They thought it was going to be so much better than this. So that leads them to that sense of being broken. And I always let folks know being, feeling broken is actually a gift. Because it gives you a chance to find healing. And as you said, right, that propels us and motivates us to kind of figure out what we need to fix. Where do we have to do that heavy heart work to start learning about it? And I let folks know, gosh, I'm so appreciative that, you know, in our, you know, 40s and our 50s, we're trying to discover, we're discovering some of these fractures, these fault lines Because can you imagine getting to 80 or 90 or 100, and then all of a sudden realizing this isn't what I wanted? I thought life was going to be better than this. We still have time. We still have time to address it and to really find a way to find that idea of like, what does fulfillment look like? And one of the things I'm hearing so often right now, especially with the current landscape, Dr. Cheryl, so many people are telling me like, you know, oh, I can't feel guilty. I can't feel bad right now during COVID and all of these challenges because I have all this privilege and I have all these bright blessings and I'm supposed to feel grateful. I think what's happening is people are losing sight that even when you have blessings and privilege, you can still not be okay. And that's okay in itself. It's okay not to be okay. And the the example I use when I'm working with people is it doesn't matter if you're drowning in you know 10 feet of water or 100 feet of water, you're still drowning. And it's okay to not feel well. It's okay to recognize that this isn't what you were hoping it was going to be and think about some strategies on how do we get you to that place where we can help you find your fulfillment and your purpose.
0: Yeah, you have that analogy about drowning in the book. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really good. Like that gave me pause because it's just another way of saying that. I I also find that during this pandemic pandemic, I mean, literally just yesterday, it's almost every day that somebody says, yeah, it's been tough, but Hey, listen, I mean, tough is all, you know, it's all relative. Like I still have a home and a job or whatever. And so it's like, I need to find different ways to be able to tell people, don't discount your story or situation just because, you know, somebody else's may be worse. And, you know, I feel like I have to be able to convey that in different ways, because if not, that's what we do. We just discount our own experience. Well, at least it wasn't blank. At least I don't have this going on. And that's such a good point. And I hope that also for the parents that are listening, if your child ever comes to you and says, I feel broken, that you now know you've got something to say to them too. Mm -hmm. You know, if your teenager comes to you, probably be a teenager or a young adult child, that we can look at it as an opportunity that it's a sign that you know that things are not well-aligned inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's always a start, awareness. You're aware, but we can put it back together. We can build it differently. We can, you know, put pieces in different places. Like, you know, so I, it really leads me to, to um, one of my questions for you, which is you talk about five pillars mm-hmm. and you call them the baseline for resiliency. Yes. So first I want to hear about those five pillars. And then I want to uh, hear any of your thoughts you have about how to transcribe that,
1: for ourselves and then also for our kids as parents. 100%, yeah. And I'll I'll tell you all about the five pillars, but I just want to circle back to what you were just saying about like when people, you know, feel like they ought not to be feeling bad. Um, I think that really leads into this kind of misconception. And this is one of the most common ones, um, Dr. Cheryl, that I see is that people think that empathy is finite, that there's only so much empathy. And if I show myself empathy for my challenge, that means I won't be empathetic enough to the person who has a deeper struggle or a deeper challenge And what I always think about is the fact that, like, compassion and empathy, those aren't those, there isn't a limit to it. The human condition is so extraordinary that there's always more to be shared once it starts flowing. And if we want to be compassionate and empathetic to other people's challenges, it actually has to start with how we treat ourselves and having empathy for ourselves. And then when we, can acknowledge, like, yeah, this is hard. This is tough right now. This is big and scary. Even though I have bright blessings, even though I have privilege, when you practice that empathy with yourself, you're going to be able to show up with even more for your neighbors and your community. So when folks kind of get, you know, they don't want to be quote selfish. Right. They don't want to be thinking about themselves, but actually by practicing empathy, that's actually how we cultivate it in a more meaningful way to be able to share it with others. So that's just kind of how I also talk about it when I'm working with people that, hey, there's lots to go around. So in terms of the five pillars, and again, I never really saw it out, Dr. Cheryl, to like, oh, I'm going to create a theory and I'm going to test it and I'm going to discover this. It really was this really natural unfolding of common things I saw within resilient people. The first being a sense of belonging. What we saw is that persons who were able to weather very challenging life events had this steadfast sense of belonging to themselves and to their chosen community. We know that that matters. It's people need a home team. You need people in your corner. Uh, that is something that we saw time and time again. And what I found so encouraging is it was one consistent, caring adult when it comes to children. So one consistent, caring, reliable adult can make all of the world of difference for a child. And it could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be an auntie, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach. It's just that person that shows up with a solid value system in place and encourages that child to follow the same code, that code of the fact we hold ourselves to excellence. So that sense of belonging is so crucial. The second pillar we talk about was perspective, and very much that idea of a head and heart in alignment, being able to think about perspective as like being able to see what's going on and maintaining it in this realm of it still being manageable and not getting too stuck in our past and not getting too much forecasting into our future. We really wanted people to be in the present. And that's what we saw. The third variable we saw was the role of acceptance. Now, acceptance is tricky in practice. It's a lot easier in theory, right? We just have to accept the things that we don't like. In practice, it's much harder to do. But we saw that once we start focusing on our controllables, What's within your control and what's not within your control. That was a good starting point. The fourth variable in my work is the idea of being hope filled. Now, hope is something that is crucial for resiliency. You have to trust in yourself and trust in the future. If we don't have hope, the other variables won't pull us through. And the fifth and the final variable, Dr. Cheryl, and this was a wee bit of a wild card, was this idea about humor. Humor. Joy, lightheartedness, this capacity for merriment, even in difficult seasons, was so transformational for people going through hard times. So what we saw is that those work together to form this constellation of areas that really help people lean into these this capacity while they were in a difficult time in their lives. I love that. How do you teach oh oh such a great question? Hope is definitely a teachable in the sense that we have to first kind of acknowledge that in our society, we teach negativity, we teach fear, we teach pessimism, all in the realm of like trying to protect people, right? Like it's like when a child says like, oh, I want to grow up to be an astronaut, you know, a lot of time a parent might say, oh, well, you're going to have to be really good in math and science and it's really, really hard so maybe you want to teach high school instead, like they literally in this idea of like, I don't want you to get your hopes up because good gosh, you might fall and that could hurt versus, wow, being an astronaut, that would be like out of this world and just let it be right. So we we condition caution, we condition negativity and boundaries And it's not to say, you know, sometimes people, parents will push back on me and they're like, Robin, well, like, you know, my kid's not smart enough to do that. I don't want them to have this false belief. The world will correct it soon enough. The world will correct it. But in the meantime, like we have to practice being hope-filled. So I teach parents a lot about this importance of reframing, reframing those negative thoughts, Reframing some of those kind of um, limitations that we put on to our children, and again, we're not we're not doing them any favors by exposing them to the harsh truths really early, in my opinion. Let them hope, let them dream, let them have wonder and curiosity for as long as possible. And what I love about the resilient mindset for children is that. You know, if a little child, if a child falls upon this idea that, you know, I want to be a professional athlete or an astronaut or I want to be a musician or an artist, let them find ways. Let them find ways that speak to them, because that's when we see, you know, they learn about resiliency. They'll have setbacks. We normalize failure. You know, we talk a lot in our system in Canada about how do we set up our children to fail forward to fail But then realize if you learn a lesson from that failure, then it's just part of experience. And what we really want is cultivate a lot of experience because perspective is formulated through experience. That's how children will gain perspective and learn about their skill sets. If they have experiences to, to have that on their own versus people telling them. So hope you can teach it by letting it grow, by letting it grow and preventing. And I get, I have three teenagers. I know that feeling about like, I don't want them to get their hopes up. Wow. Right. Versus I want them to be so hope filled that they're going to find a way if it speaks to them.
0: I love that. That story just spoke to me just a few Uh, days ago. Um, my eight year old said, I think I want to be an astronaut, and oh. it o- almost came out of my mouth. Was exactly what you said, like, "Well, then you're going to have to work." And then I, I didn't say anything, and I was like, "Wouldn't that be awesome?" Good for you. And then we just moved on, and I did feel like a good for me moment. Like I was yeah. like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't need to be that person." That's like, "Oh, well, then you better work really hard." And then yeah. you know, and so I love so much of what you just said in this last part about we condition caution. I really like mm-hmm. that quote. So I, I want to tell people that if they like what you had to say, I loved what you had to say, your book Calm Within the Storm, I think gives people more ideas as well. And even though it's not a parenting book, I think there's a lot that can be like a parallel process of Mm. thinking about it for yourself. And then, oh, how does this affect me as a parent and the messages I'm giving to my kids and what I'm teaching Mm. them. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so very much for this opportunity. Absolutely. I love it. The resilient mindset. You had a lot of really good quotes that I'm going to be using forward. If people listening right now enjoyed this conversation, please rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews are everything. And again, the book is Calm Within the Storm, A Pathway to Everyday Resiliency by Robin Hanley-Defoe. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Take good care, Dr. Cheryl.